I was raised in the Catholic church. I went to Catholic elementary school and I went to Catholic boys high school. And anybody raised in the Catholic church in the 1960s knows that there was, there's a lot of rules. There's a lot of rules in being, in being raised Catholic. But one of the really kind of interesting aspects of the rules within the Catholic church is there was two types of sins that one could produce. I hope I remember this correctly because I'd be terrible if I was inaccurate. Uh, but there's two that I remember. There was venial sins, which are bad ideas. The venial sins are things that you do that are wrong, but you can be forgiven for venial sins. And then there are mortal sins. Mortal sins were very bad. They placed your soul at risk. They were the unforgivable sins. Now with venial sins, what would happen is on a regular basis, you would go to confession and you would uh, go into a confessional and talk to a priest and tell them all of the things that you had done wrong, disobeying your parents, lying, stealing candy, those sorts of venial sins. And you were assigned penance based on the severity of your sins and you said the penance and it was a series of prayers and you had to be contrite. You had to be truly sorry for them and you were forgiven. It was great. It was, it was like a fresh slate start again tomorrow. Mortal sins, not so much. Mortal sins were things like murder. If you went into confession and said to the priest, I'm really sorry, but I killed a dude. The priest couldn't say you're forgiven. Uh, there is no penance that would allow for forgiveness from mortal sins. They are very, very bad sins. In our business, in, in the online world, I think we also have venial and mortal sins as far as marketing goes. So today, we'll step into my confessional and let's discuss venial and mortal sins, what you can and what you cannot be forgiven for. Steve Dotto here. How the heck are you doing this fine day? Welcome to Gray Matters, the podcast for baby boomers and Gen X who are interested in online business. We are interested in finding our place in the digital age. In this podcast, you'll learn about online marketing, community building, social networking, and more, all from our perspective. The world's changing. Our prospects are changing. The job market is not interested in us anymore, and many of us face a reluctant retirement, and that is not cool. We need to take our years of experience and put it to work for us, a side hustle or online business of our own. We need to develop mad skills to adapt and evolve in order to thrive in this digital age. I can help. I want to help. And this podcast will help. It wasn't that long ago that I was struggling to transition from my former career in traditional broadcasting into online business. There were lots of bumps and bruises along the way, but I'm here to say it is a fantastic and worthwhile journey. I am glad you found us. Not too long ago, I sat through uh, one of my colleagues' webinars. It was a webinar that was a sales slash training webinar designed to encourage their community to build and deliver online courses, a topic which is near and dear to my heart. And this is a fairly successful person promoting to their community. They've got a, a large following and they've been very successful in the online space. Now, in the course of this webinar, their advice towards the end of the webinar, and this was for encouraging their community to build and deliver an online course, either for revenue or as a list builder, uh, but primarily for revenue, to build an online course. And the they were teaching a technique which I I just I it, I have issues with. There's no there's no easy way to say this. They were teaching that 
the their community shouldn't worry about actually building the course. They should create an outline for what a course is going to contain. Then they can launch it with a webinar and they can pre-sell the course. They can pre-sell to their community the training and use the outline as kind of a sales page. And, and you'd build it like a proper sales page, et cetera, for this. But they were going to be selling something which was not yet developed. And the thinking was that by pre-selling it, you do a few really positive things. First of all, you generate revenue to help you pay for the creation of the course, which is a good thing, kind of almost like a Kickstarter campaign. But you, you have people give you money and then you reinvest that money back in creating whatever it is that they bought from you. And the other thing is, if there isn't a lot of interest in the course, if there's not enough interest there, uh, this is a great asset test. And if enough people don't sign up to make it worth your while, you can just refund the money and tell them that you've changed your mind. Well, how many levels of bad is this? Like if, if this person was sitting in my confessional, I would not say that this is a mortal sin, but darn it, it's close. This is deceptive. And, and, and I, it, it's an outgrowth of the fake it till you make it attitude. We have a lot of philosophies in the online space, which in principle sound good under certain circumstances, but when you look at how they're actually brought into play, they can be very, very bad ideas. If you are a creator who has created and delivered many online courses, this is one thing. In that particular case, if you know what it takes to deliver an online course, you've been through the process, you know the delivery mechanisms, you know how long it takes you to build the content, you know the value of your content, you've effectively delivered online courses before. In that particular case, this business model is not a particularly bad idea because the because the person hosting the course, delivering the course, has the experience, the expertise, and the credibility to be able to succeed with this particular model. But if this is your first online course, this is just a ridiculously bad idea because you've never actually sat down and built the course content. You've never delivered it into an LMS. You don't know what what roadblocks might be in your way as far as delivering. You don't even know how much effort it's going to take you to deliver the course. So you aren't in a position no you aren't in a position to deliver it successfully. Now you might succeed but you might not, and you're taking a really big chance at that particular point. You know, I, I'm I struggle to come up with a great analogy, but you know what? If you have four friends and you take your four friends in a private airplane and fly them to vacation, that's a great idea if you can do that, if you've done that before and you know how to do that. But if you've never flown a plane before, you aren't going to pile four people in and learn as you go, taking them to a destination, doing something you have never done before. And that is exactly what this person was recommending. And the genesis is this idea of fake it till you make it. And in the whole fake it till you make it movement is really, I have, I have no way of saying other than this, it's laziness. It's taking a shortcut. It's not putting in the work that's required. I know, I know I'm sounding like an old funny. You got to put in your dues before you can, you know, you got to, you got to be an apprentice first before you can move up to the journeyman level. And you've got to pay your dues before you step up to the plate, before you benefit uh, the way the rest of us can benefit from, say, delivering an online course. And people, of course, are resistant to that idea because it's, it's pretty old school, that entire concept. 
but we, I think we face a real uh, divergence in, in what's happening in the online business world. You know, when we came up, when baby boomers and Gen Xers came up in the business world, building a business was a very different thing than building a business today. We used to build our business based on build and deploy. You used to have to, you know, come up with a business plan and do all of the prep and have it all built before you ever released a product or released anything to the customer. I mean, I can remember what it was like releasing a piece of software back in the, in the 90s when I worked in the software industry. Oh my gosh. I mean, if you stop and think of what we had to do to release a tool, it was how we ever made money, how we stayed sane, how we did it on any sort of a reasonable schedule was, it was almost a miracle. I mean, think about, think about before the internet distributing a piece of software. Think of what we had to do. Uh, you had to, first of all, get all of the code down for the application until it was rock solid based on the most current operating system and hopefully any revisions to the operating system uh, that were going to be coming out, regardless if you were in Mac or Windows. You had to kind of look into a crystal ball and try and make sure that the application was stable through the next couple of kind of iterations of the software. Then you had to create a gold master of it. You had to test it and make sure that, it, as I say, it was rock solid. And then you had to go through a physical manufacturing process of having it burned onto a disc, copied onto a disc, or burned into a CD, whatever the distribution platform was going to be. At the same time, we never released a piece of software without a comprehensive instruction manual included, which went through technical writing and editing and publishing. We published a book an encyclopedia to go along with the piece of software. And then the packaging had to be put in place with the graphics and, and how it was all going to fit together. And then it had to be assembled and then it had to be shipped and then it had to be warehoused and it had to be distributed to, and, oh, and not even talking about what we had to do marketing wise in order to get the word out, putting ads in magazines and in journals and going to trade shows months in advance of the release of the software because the supply chain took that long to fulfill. We had our work cut out for us anytime we launched any any new project. Today, you know, you can have a, an app that you throw up on, online and it people can be testing it out within a few hours of you of you of you delivering it. I mean, even massive companies like Google will go through years of leaving a product in beta because they don't have to they don't have to make it 1.0 and they never support it. They, think about Gmail. Think about trying to get support, technical support for Gmail. Uh, you know, they only made, how long was it in beta? Years in beta. But that's the, the modern world is, and we don't have this build and deploy model anymore. The, the business model is now seed and grow. You plant an idea, you plant a product, uh, you see how the marketplace re reacts to it, and then you evolve the product as you go. And that's the, that's the nature of business today. Unfortunately, what happens is some people can look at that model of seeding and growing and they can take it to an extreme where you don't even really have to have a firm idea or the experience in order to be able to deliver a finished product, but instead you can fake it till you make it. You can learn as you're going, not just what your customer needs and not what just what the product is, but your own skill set, how you can deliver, what you need to do in order to deliver and fulfill the promise. See, we're talking about two very different things. In the seed and grow model, you know the product that you're building. You have expertise in the field that you're working in. You understand how it's going to be distributed, how it's going to be supported. You understand your customers and you're evolving the product in conjunction 
with your customers. And that could be an online course or it could be an application. Fake it till you make it means that not just are you learning about what your customers and what the community is interested in as far as your product goes, but you're also learning how to develop and deliver that product yourself at the same time because you are positioning yourself as an expert when you are still learning. And that is fraught with challenges. And here's what ends up happening to us all in the online world when this happens, is it undermines trust, is it undermines trust in the community and in ourselves. And when we promote products that look similar to somebody, when, when somebody who has, the, who has the, the foundation to actually deliver a product or deliver a course or deliver a service, in a seed and grow model where they're going to put an idea out there, tell the audience what they're going to do with that particular product, how they're going to grow it, and then bring them on board in or as that product develops, that has a lot of credibility attached to it. But if those people have been burned by people who are faking it till they make it, they offer an online course, they collect the money, and then they come back and say, you know what, uh, there's not enough people interested, or they collect the money and then they deliver slowly or poorly because they've never done it before, that undermines trust for us all. So it is something that we all have to take a look at. The online community has to, to a certain extent, become self-policing because there are there is no confessional in the online business community. There are no priests that are going to offer dispensation or tell you when you are completely offline. Instead, it's the court of public opinion, and it's each other that has to. It's it's other people within the community that have to that have to set those standards. So I thought today we could not just take a look at the whole fake it till you make it idea, but take a look at some of the other gray areas of things that we can do in the online business space, which if they are done kind of on with a white hat on, they're good ideas, but they can also be done with a black hat, which makes them bad ideas and how to decide, you know, what hat we should be wearing and, and, and understand how those products fit for us. Did you know that we host a free live training almost every week? This is a fact. Most weeks we host a free tutorial webinar covering productivity, content creation, or online marketing. It is called Webinar Wednesday, and you can find out this week's webinar by visiting dototech.com slash webinar Wednesday. It is the best way for you to up your skills to the next level for free. Join us. Links are in the description, or just visit dototech.com slash webinar Wednesday. When we consider the different sales techniques that are available to us, uh, they're almost social engineering aspects where we understand human nature and then we create different mechanisms in our sales funnel as people are going through the sales funnel to determine whether or not they're gonna purchase a product from us. We understand the social triggers that make them do things or help them make their decision. And some of those we can do totally legit. We can do them and it actually helps the customer a lot on the journey. Other ones, are more manipulative and other ones are egregiously manipulative. And so understanding where we are comfortable in that spectrum as an online marketer, as a, as a content marketer, uh, that is a very important step along the way. And also recognizing that there is a, there's the potential of damaging our reputation at some point. 
if we if we push it too far in through the gray zone into the into the dark into the darker place and we also have to determine as we look at these different mechanisms which ones are questionable practices and which ones are merely irritating practices. Uh, so things that are irritating uh, are things like pop-ups. You know, when uh, we all get a little bit irritated when we go to a website and a pop-up comes on that site uh, that invites us to sign up for their mail list. Uh, yes, that's irritating, but it's also a really solid business practice because ultimately we need to get people onto our mail list. So we're for the most part, we're comfortable with being minorly irritating to our customer in order to serve our overall long-term goals. Um, another thing that bothers people a lot, which is irritating, but again, I can't say that it's wrong to do, is gated content, where you have uh, where you offer people a, a snippet of information, but for them to get more information, then they have to exchange their email address with you. So that's, a, that's another thing which some people will find irritating, but it does further your business goals and objectives, and I think is legit. There's a quid pro quo if you're giving something away of value, expecting something in return, such as the ability to con- contact the people in the future to sell to them. Along the same path are things like laddered sales, where you offer a basic package, uh, but for them, but then you upsell them through a series of different laddered products to get to the point that you really, to the product that you're really selling. Again, irritating to a certain extent, something that you might be comfortable with. Not all of us are comfortable selling our products that way, but I don't think that it enters into the space of being immoral or a wrong thing to do. Another thing that bothers me a lot is typically in a lot of sites is they insist that you call for pricing. They know what their pricing is. Their pricing is standardized, but they won't give it to you without a call. That's something that really bothers me and it will turn me off. It's something that you could certainly choose to do for your business. I wouldn't criticize you and tell you you're doing business wrong, but it ends up being something that doesn't work for me. Uh, and so I just won't call because I don't want to, I, I don't want to be put myself in a position. I realize that they're engineering me at that point because they're looking for my contact information and they want to be able to have access to me so that they can be a little bit more um, persuasive in order to help bring the sale along. Uh, But you should give an idea of what it's going to cost before we waste each other's time. That's personal opinion. Again, something I wouldn't say that you're doing wrong if you incorporate it, but it's merely an irritating practice, not one that's going to require you come to confession in Steve's confessional. Now let's talk about some of the things that are actual sins in my mind. And one of the biggest sins for me is when we're, when we're, is dishonesty. Actually, they all really revolve around some form of dishonesty. And scarcity is a big point for me, especially for digital and online products where the, the, where there's very few legitimate reasons for scarcity. So what is scarcity? Maybe I should take a step back. Scarcity is what you'll experience when you go and you participate in a webinar and they tell you that the price is $9.95, but it's available to you for $2.97 only if you purchase now during the webinar or if you only if you sign up by this date, there's a cutoff date. And so that creates scarcity. It means the price is only available for a certain period of time. And there's a lot of different techniques that we can use to impart scarcity. And some of them are totally legit but some of them require a visit to the confessional, as far as I'm concerned. Totally legit scarcity is when you have an online course that you're offering, and it is a synchronous course. It starts on June 5th. 
If you haven't signed up for June 5th, you have to wait till next time we open the doors for this course. And because we bring people through in a cohort, that is totally legitimate scarcity. So you can tell people by, sign up by this point here. You could have a, a tiered price structure at that point saying we have early bird pricing available that's up until this point here then we have another date and then there's another tiered pricing increase that's a legit form of scarcity that some people might find a little bit irritating but as far as i'm concerned is great business practice it's social engineering at its finest you're creating a reward for the people to make the decision a positive decision earlier on and making a decision by a certain date that is a that's a great business practice leverage scarcity and uh, expiring bonuses and things like that that then it starts to become a little more murky uh, so leverage scarcity is things like you might find when you visit a retail site and a retail site says only three more available and you and i both know that there is not just three available they're outright lying at that point there, but they're using social engineering to encourage you to make the purchase before they're all sold out. And as far as I'm concerned, that is a something that does require a visit to the confessional. That is not something which uh, I hope any of my followers do, and it's not something that we teach, but we know that it works. And because it works, people will use it. So we find that leveraged scarcity being applied, especially in product sales. In the online course in the in the knowledge product space we find a similar thing where we find expiring bonuses in this particular case somebody will say if you sign up during this webinar you'll get this digital product bonus and if you don't sign up by then you don't get this bonus which it might be a precursor to the course or some extra templates or or something along that line i think this is really skirting the edge of what i would consider to be ethical because the problem is what good reason do you actually have as a content creator not to give a person who purchases the course from you that bonus? It costs you nothing more to deliver. It's a digital product. You've already built it. The product is, is, is finished. It's complete. The only reason that you're offering it is, is an incentive it, it, to coerce them into making that decision. So these expiring bonuses, uh, I, if you sign up later, You'll often be able to go back to the person and say, can I really have that bonus because I didn't sign up in time? I, you give them some excuse and they will get, then give you the bonus probably most likely anyways. So do you see what a can of worms this opens? Because you are setting, it's like when you're parenting your kids. If you don't mean what you say and say what you mean, then the kids don't know what the boundaries are and they don't know when to trust you next time. You have to establish a firm relationship of trust with your customers right out of the gate. So having these arbitrary bonuses that you offer and then withdraw at based on a certain time, but they're only mostly withdrawn, that I think creates, it creates a big gray area and I think it undermines your credibility. Now, having said that, with all of these types of scarcity, there are content creators who deliver this scarcity, who deliver their products and their courses using these mechanisms, using these social triggers to encourage people to purchase, but they follow their rules religiously. There's a, a wonderful piece of software called Deadline Funnels, which is designed for evergreen delivery of webinars. Now, imagine the challenge that you have in offering a, a decaying bonus 
to a to a community if you're in an evergreen webinar. You attend my webinar, let's say on January the 1st, and I tell you within that webinar that if you purchase before February 1st, you can get access to the course for $4.99. After that, it's $9.99. And imagine the challenge because the person's, they, they visited you in, an, in a virtual delivery of the webinar. Uh, they're seeing it on demand. They view it on January the 1st. And then they come back and they enter, re-enter and watch it again on February the 2nd. And then the bonus is there and offered to them again. You see how your credibility is going to be undermined because they know that anytime they come back in, they can get the course for $4.99. There's no urgency. And they've also, you've also said something which ultimately is not true and you've undermined your credibility. So there's a technical solution for that situation. It's a product, as I say, called deadline funnels, which identifies the person coming in. You have them register with their email address, they register, and then Deadline Funnels walks through the decaying or the, the expiring bonuses, sends them the emails, lets them know, and then basically completely shuts them off from the ability to get the bonuses or to get the pricing structure that, they, that is being offered once it's expired. So what you have is a piece of software that stands in and actually makes sure that the rules that you've established as far as the bonus structure are followed. And if the pricing is firm until this date here and then not offered after that date, it makes sure that that pricing is not offered after that date. So it's so in that particular case, a content creator can stand on uh, a little bit more on the moral high ground saying, no, these bonuses are in place They're to help you make the decision. And once they're gone, they're gone. And from the perspective of, uh, of them maintaining their integrity of offering the bonuses and then removing them when they're no longer available, they get full winning points. We can have a long conversation about whether or not it's a good idea to have something that doesn't cost you money that you offer to people and then withdraw and whether or not that ends up damaging your relationship downstream for the people who end up purchasing, but always feeling that they missed out on an opportunity because somebody else got a better deal than them. But that's another conversation entirely. We're talking about what you have to attend confession for. You don't have to attend confession if you follow the model of using a tool like deadline funnels. And when you establish your parameters, when you establish when the bonuses are finished, you actually end the bonuses at that point and don't offer them and in, and don't give people a back door into the, into the, into that pricing. Once again, building a business is hard. Figuring out all of the new opportunities and where we fit. That's even harder. Let me invite you to join us in a place where you can meet other baby boomers and Gen X who are all interested in learning more about building and growing online businesses. It's called The Gray Zone and it's completely free. We have built an online community on Facebook that is just for us, where you can meet other entrepreneurs, ask questions, share, and learn. I would not be where I am today without a network of friends and colleagues who supported me to bounce ideas off of, share breakthroughs and mishaps, success and failures. It takes a village. That's why we built The Gray Zone, the place for baby boomers and Gen X to meet share ideas, encourage each other, a place where we all speak the same language. So what are you waiting for? The links are in the notes or search on Facebook for The Gray Zone. You need to recognize that there are both fast tracks and shortcuts to building an online business. 
There are techniques that will help us accelerate the growth of our community, the growth of our business, and help us achieve our business goals more quickly. And then there are shortcuts where we are willing to pay a price of credibility, a price of trust, a price of reputation in order to get to the finish line faster. It's up to you to determine how you're going to build your own online business. I believe most of the people in our generation, baby boomers and Gen X, I believe that we're very interested in fast tracks. I believe that we're very interested in understanding that there is a quicker, more effective and easier way of building an online business than the old school business models that we followed growing up and when we first started our careers. But I believe we also don't necessarily really want shortcuts that we realize that long-term, that our reputation and the, and the, uh, our reputation and the trust of our community are the most important assets that we can engender online. And that if we have those, we have the basis for building a sustainable and growing online business. Yes, by all means, the techniques that help people make decisions are worth knowing and understanding, but we always have to measure what we're asking them to do and how legitimate that is. And often it's just going to come down to your gut reaction. Typically speaking, when I see a practice that I ultimately will decide is unethical or something I'm not comfortable with, even before I understand it, there's my spidey senses are tingling and I will in, in, a, in, it looks like a good idea always at the very beginning, but some little voice in the back of my mind is saying, just a minute, just a minute here. You know, I think back to early days. When I started in the online business world delivering online webinars, I can remember having a conversation with one of my mentors, with Mari Smith. And this was, these were the really nascent days for me. I was just learning about the world of online business, coming from television and radio, and I was super excited about webinars, about the fact I could deliver a broadcast to a community so effortlessly and without any, without any, the CRTC or any regulatory body telling me where I can broadcast and I can put video and I can put audio and I can actually have a conversation with the people watching me. It was magic. It was absolute magic. It still is magic. But I remember I discovered for the first time evergreen webinars where you could deliver a webinar and make it look like it was live, even though it was pre-recorded, to the point that you could add cribbed chat so that people thought chat was happening in real time. And your audience would, would for all intents and purposes, would believe that they were seeing something live, but it was in fact pre-recorded and they were being manipulated in that case into thinking it was live. And when I saw that, I recognized immediately how that could scale, how you could deliver webinars to a much larger community, many, many more people, and ultimately you could generate much more revenue. And I hadn't thought it all through, but I was very excited about what I'd seen, about that, about that potential. And I can still remember Mari chatting with Mari at one point and ask, she asked me if I'd seen the tool. There was a piece of software that allowed one to do it. And she asked me, so what do you think of that, Steve? And it was the first time I'd had to articulate what I thought of it. And it immediately came to mind and it coalesced in my mind the issue that I had with it. I look, I thought, and I said to Mari, technically it's brilliant. I said, but I think it's wrong because you're starting your relationship with your potential audience based on a falsehood, based on really a lie. Telling them that it's live when it's not what kind of a relationship are you going to have long-term if the very first thing that you present to them 
is a lie. And that was the beginning of me understanding that there are techniques out there that look good, that are going to help us make more money, that we have to really examine right down to the, to, to the, to the core principles to determine whether or not they are techniques that make sense, that work for us, that fall within our own personal ethos. And I personally believe that as soon as I see any of my competitors or colleagues delivering full webinars now, which are these live, these webinars that appear to be live, if they aren't very clear up front that it's a pre-recorded webinar, I immediately lose interest in anything else that person's teaching because they've undermined what I consider to be a core ethical principle. You know, if we go back to the confessional, they've committed a mortal sin at that point there. If you lie to your audience, if you lie to your community, if you're disingenuous, I don't think that there's a way back. That is tantamount to murder in the online space. It's an unforgivable sin to lie and manipulate your audience in that way. And there are a few other tools, there are a few other techniques that one can do that I believe are in the same vein, but that's the big one. And that's the one that kind of started the entire process for me, understanding the white hat, black hat. Evergreen webinars, great idea, with full disclosure. This was pre-recorded, this isn't live. If you have any questions, enter them in the chat box. We will answer them, but we're not live right now. So in, in, in the chat you're seeing right now is pre-recorded from the time that we delivered the webinar live. So you can have all of the aspects, but people know exactly the truth of the event that they are sitting through. Gray Matters is a production of Dottotech. There's a lot more to us than just this podcast. Nearly every week, we host a free online training called Webinar Wednesday, but we could not create any of this content without the generous support of our patrons. Dottotech is a community-funded channel, and I want to express my gratitude to those of you who support us each and every month, keeping us on the air. If you value the content we deliver here, please consider supporting us. Visit patreon.com slash dottotech, and we have perks. Most of our members contribute $10 a month, and for that, they receive access to over 150 trainings we've delivered on Webinar Wednesday, as well as discounts on our other premium courses, plus one great perk for this community. Access to Don't Retire, Rewire, a great primer for those of you considering launching an online business of your own. Once again, to all our patrons, we would not be here without you. My thanks to you. And those of you considering joining us, I think it's a great idea. But I have to admit, I am a bit biased. As I recorded today's podcast, I was kind of struck with the generational differences that our generations, that baby boomers and Gen X, in our experience, brings to bear in the conversation about online business ethics and how we build a business. And I think it holds us back to a large extent. I think it holds baby boomers and Gen X back. Our, our adherence to kind of the old business rules and the old standards. And I'm not just talking about the, uh, the systemic way that we built businesses, the fact that we are inclined to build and deploy, to, to build the business out to a far greater extent before we roll it out to the public and have a far more finished product go forth than perhaps a millennial might have feel compelled to do in launching their product or launching their offering. But we also have to recognize that 
our expectations as a community are probably higher as well. I don't think millennials and Gen X, or sorry, I don't think that millennials expect the products to be as finished, as polished as they're released, especially if they're released in the in the kind of the metaphor that we're talking about with the seed and grow model. They, they don't expect those businesses and those offerings to be quite as polished, and they're willing to forgive the fact that they're still evolutionary because they grew up with unfinished products. They grew up in the Google universe where Google was changing Gmail from, you know, for the almost the whole time that they used the product, it was still in beta and still being updated and with very little support. They grew up expecting that and understanding that. Baby Boomers and Gen X, we grew up in an era where we bought a piece of software and we read the manual. Everything was finished. Everything was polished. So we have a higher level of expectation of what a, of what a viable product to be released to the public is, or an offering is to the public. We have to, I think we both have to adjust our expectations. I believe millennials can learn a lot from the additional attention to detail that baby boomers and Gen X are going to bring to the table. And we have to lighten up a little bit, especially when we are signing up in a community or taking an online course and recognizing that the author and the creator is in an iterative process with us. And they are taking feedback from the people inside the course, inside the, inside of the, inside of the membership, and they are evolving the product and the content as they go. So the, our expectations of, of it being finished and an entrenched product probably need to be need to be lightened up just a little bit. It's a evolutionary process and hopefully each generation can learn from the other. Now, I would love to learn from you. If you have any comments or thoughts on today's podcast, suggestions for other podcasts and other content moving forward in the show notes and in the blog post, there's a link, an email uh, to podcasts at dottotech.com. I encourage you, drop me a note. I will read each and every note and take your recommendations and your comments to heart. I appreciate each and every one of you. Until next time, I'm Steve Dotto. Have fun storming a castle. <laughs>